I wonder, do any of you know anyone who takes sick days from work when they're not really sick? Yeah, you laugh because you're so familiar with that. Some of you were just self-admitting there for a moment also. Yeah, of course, according to Monster.com, 40% of people do that. In a given year, 40% of people call in sick. It also records some of the lies that those people tell to their employers as to why they're not there. One woman said that uh, she would have been to work, but she went to vote to do her civic duty, and she ended up driving around all day because she couldn't find her polling place, which, of course, was just around the corner from her house. Another situation where a person claimed that they were sick and they called in, they said, well, my car insurance, they didn't say they were sick, but they made the excuse, made the lie that their car insurance had just expired the day before and she knew that her employer wouldn't want her driving around illegally. There's nothing a boss loves more than to have you lie to him and tell tell him that it's his fault that you weren't there. Another employer talked about the man who used the excuse that his mother died, which seems like a pretty legitimate excuse to me. He said the problem was she used the excuse twice. (laughs) And this poor guy also had the unfortunate of having all of his grandparents die in the previous two years, all 12 of them. I mean, that's just a dead giveaway right there when you give that kind of an excuse, right? Okay, so there are lies that get told about uh, missing work. There are other lies that get told even to ourselves when it comes to the topic that we're going to be talking about here together today. This is a lie that we love to tell because it's one that we so much want to be true, but oftentimes I'm afraid that it's not. It's a lie that even if somebody tells it to you, you love to hear it from them because you so much want that to be the case for them. It's a lie that oftentimes gets told, a statement that oftentimes gets made, and we're not even completely sure. We say it about ourselves, and we're not even completely sure if it's a lie or if it isn't a lie. Well, what's the statement? The statement is that God is the number one priority in my life. If you've been around church or around church people any period of time, you know that there's a certain pecking order of priorities, the way that things ought to be. And sometimes it's stated differently, but it's always something like it should be God, then family, then work. Or it should be God, then spouse, then kids. Or on a Sunday, it should be God, then the Steelers, and then everything else. Whatever system you use, what you know is that God is supposed to be the number one priority. My question today is, is he? If you really do a soul-searching search of your own heart, is he? Today we're going to be concluding our sermon series. It's complicated that we've been in for the last eight weeks. We've addressed a number of relationships that we are in. That's what the whole series has been about, navigating the relationships of life. And we've looked at marriage and parenting. We've looked at work. We've looked at dating. We've looked at money. We've looked at neighbors. And last week we talked about differing worldviews. Very important. If you missed that one, I'd encourage you to go back and pick up that one or any of the previous ones. Today we're going to be talking about navigating our relationship with God. Because it would be my contention to you that we all at times, and maybe in significant ways, have a complicated relationship with God. 
And the reason I can say that is because we are in a place oftentimes where our relationship with God is not what we say it is. Or it's not what we think that it ought to be or know that it ought to be. We say that it's number one, but if you really take a look at the way that you're living your life and the way that you're spending your time and the priorities by which you're living, you'd really have to ask, is it really priority number one? Well, it's complicated. Or you take a look at the fact that you really don't spend much time praying, though you know you should. You don't spend much time reading God's Word, but yet you proclaim that to be a high priority that you would live by, and it's not, and you have to ask yourself, why? Well, it's complicated. I don't know about you, but I would love to get all of that straightened out in life. I would love it to be just honest and straightforward that I say that this is the priority by which I live because I know it's supposed to be the priority by which I live, but it's not, and I want it to be, and what do I do about that? I know that I ought to be more faithful in doing the the things that God calls me to do, the reading, the praying, the living, all of that, but it's not what it should be, and I know that it's not. I wish there was a way to discover how to get there. And the truth of the matter is, I believe that there is. I believe that there are some things that we can consider today that will help us to get past the place where we just say it's the truth, where it really genuinely becomes who we are and how we live, that those priorities that we say are so important actually become important to the point where that's how we are living out our lives. And to get to that answer, I think it's helpful to work our way through a couple of questions. And these are on your outline in the worship program that you received when you walked in. You might want to also jot down some of the answers as we make our way along. And the first of those questions is this. Why is the relationship with God complicated? Very simply, why is the relationship with God complicated? We've hinted at a couple of things, but we have more to say here. Some reasons. One reason is because we're too satisfied with salvation. And you might say, whoa, 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 what? Did, did I hear you right? I mean, that sounds a little bit heretical to me. How can you possibly be too satisfied with salvation? Is that even possible? Isn't that the center of the relationship with God? If we could pursue just one thing, isn't that what it ought to be? I mean, isn't salvation everything? Well, absolutely Not. Absolutely not. See, I think that this is where the core of the problem really lies in many respects. Salvation or putting your trust in Jesus is a crucial point in your spiritual journey. It is indeed the entry point. It is the thing that gives you hope and gives you life and gives you assurance of eternal life. It is huge. It is so huge, in fact, that we have made it an end in itself. It is not an end. It's a beginning. But we have set it up on such a pedestal that it is so important that if that's the only thing that my spiritual life consists of is that I have salvation, then I'm good with that. Well, we shouldn't be because it's not an end in itself. It's a beginning and we can become too satisfied with salvation. I think the number one question that I heard asked this last week was, what would you do if you won $1.6 billion? Everybody was asking it. Of course, the right answer to that question is tithe. Yeah, that's the right answer to the question. But after you tithe on your $1.6 billion, 
Maybe you're like, I think I need a new house because I've been living in this junky house for a long time. And so you go out and you get one. 20,000 square feet. 12 bedrooms, 10 bathrooms, got a pool, you've got a theater there to watch the Steelers on the big screen, that and Pathway Sermons that you've missed. You've got everything that you could possibly want. And so the day comes to move into your house and you go and you step inside the front door and you're there in the foyer and you're scanning kind of the, the house and you're looking and you're saying, there's so much here to explore. And then you say, but you know what? I think I'm just going to live in the foyer. It's ludicrous. It's foolish. Why would you do that? You have so much to go and explore. Well, here's the thing. That's exactly what many of us do in our spiritual life. We walk in through the door and we stand in the foyer of salvation. It's like, wow, this is awesome. I've got everything I could ever want. And then we don't bother to go and experience any of it. To go discover all of what it is that God would have for you to go and explore an experience, and we just choose to make our life in the spiritual foyer. That's where many of us have been for a very long time. Or imagine getting married. You get the deal done, and it's official. The marriage is official. You got the certificate and everything, and you go off on the honeymoon, and you come back home, and your spouse says, it is so nice to be married. I can't wait to just grow deep with you. Let's talk about deep things. Let's, let's learn who we really are deep at our core. And, and the other spouse says, you know what? I'm good. We're married and it's official. Love you, Snookums. It's great. Let's just kind of hang where we are. I don't need to go any deeper. But you're not good. You're missing out on all of what could be. You're too satisfied with the peace instead of the whole. This is a problem, and the Apostle Paul knew it was a problem. And he wrote to some people that he was afraid might be tempted to sort of fall into that same trap. And he gave them some words, and hear what they are. It's to the church in Colossae. It says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, in other words, just as you entered into the foyer of what the experience is all about, continue to live your lives in him. Go explore the house, the spiritual house, he says. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. The essence of our lives as followers of Jesus is that there would be an entry point that we often call salvation, but that we would not settle for that as being the lion's share of the experience that God would have us to have with him, and we'd go deeper and further, and when we don't, our relationship with God is going to be complicated because we've become too satisfied in one piece. Too satisfied in salvation. Yes, it's huge, but it's not everything. And when we choose to center there and just say, as long as I've got that, eternity's secure, and what I do with the rest isn't all that important. Because I've got my fire insurance. And we wonder, why do we struggle? Why is our life kind of here and there? Why do I not follow through on the things that I say are priorities for me? It's because we've made it complicated by making or becoming too satisfied with salvation, as important as it is. Another reason the relationship with God can be complicated is because we are too accepting of sin. When Jesus was teaching the disciples about sin, he made the point that there is something in us that just gravitates towards sin. 
And it's not that it's just something that comes up and goes away and let's hope it's a good day. It's, that it's, it's inbred in us. And he speaks about it as being darkness that is actually that which captivates us. And he wrote about it in these words. He said, light has come into the world. That could be our experience. But people loved darkness. They're too accepting of the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. To love darkness and practice sin comes naturally to us. And it seems to me that we've actually become very, very good at justifying that sin. Even excusing that sin. I was tired. It just caught me off guard. He had it coming. Everybody else is living that way. They're all doing that thing as though that should be the appropriate measure for what God wants from me. And what might be just as troubling, even more troubling, is this trend that I see all around us where people are just so very cavalier about their sin. It's like, yeah, I know I probably shouldn't have done that. Yeah, I know people tell me that that's kind of the wrong thing to do, but I don't really care. It's just not that big of a deal, we might say. Well, it is a big deal because the prophet Isaiah wrote about the effects of sin, but your iniquities have separated you from God. They've separated you from God. Being separate from someone, especially God, is going to complicate the relationship because we're inviting something to stand between us you can expect that it'll be complicated. Another complicating issue for relationships is that we are too self-sufficient. There's this little phrase you can oftentimes hear a preschooler say. It's not just preschoolers, but oftentimes they're the ones when they don't want any help with anything. They just say, I can do it myself. Absolutely. It's an absolute bold statement of self-sufficiency. Well, there's a little statement that adults use when they think that they can just get themselves to exactly what the best things are in life, and they say, I can do it myself. It's a statement of self-sufficiency, that I don't need anything else. Well, Jesus taught about this very topic because he knew that it was the issue that it is and that we all have this tendency to sort of take the reins of control and do things as we feel like doing them. And so he used this word picture that everybody in his day would have completely understood. And if you've been around church any period of time, you no doubt have heard about it. Jesus calls himself the vine. The vine is where the source of nutrients, the source of life comes from. And off of the vine go the branches. Jesus is the vine. We are, people are, the branches. And at the end of the branches then comes the fruit. Well, if you try to develop fruit as a part of the branch, but that is disconnected from the vine, that obviously is not going to go very well. Here's the way that Jesus said it. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I don't mean, think he means absolutely nothing because the fact of the matter is we've all got gifts. We've all got talents. We can take and apply those, those into the circumstances of life, and, and we've done that, and many of us have been successful in a number of things just by applying those natural skills and abilities. That's great. But Jesus says that can't get you all the way home. 
There are things that you are going to be completely missing out on if you don't lean into, if you don't tap into the vine. And so many of us, we have chosen to be so self-sufficient that we're saying, I can produce all the fruit that I want and need to in my life apart from the vine. Jesus says, no, you can't. No, you can't. And that's a reason that our relationship can get complicated. And one more reason that that happens is because we're too interested in shortcuts. We're too interested in shortcuts. Now, we all like shortcuts, right? We definitely like shortcuts. We like to get things done faster, quicker than we have been able to do them in the past. And I read about some of these that I thought I'd just offer to you as a, as a public service announcement that you might want to take and try in your own life. I read that you can, if you're getting all teared up because you're cutting up an onion, that you can stop those tears if you just stick your head in the freezer for several seconds. Of course, then you have to look stupid sticking your head in the freezer for several seconds and you've got to deal with frozen tears in your eyes. But at least they stop... The crying, right, from, okay, so that's, that's one you might want to consider. Another is that you brush your teeth in the shower. Save some time, it's a shortcut. Then you can spit out the saliva and the toothpaste and let it run through your toes on the way to the drain. How wonderful a shortcut is that? Or one more is that you can avoid all of the angst and all of the time spent in learning a new language by just learning a couple of key phrases in that language, which works really great if the only conversation you ever want to have with someone in that language is hello, goodbye, and where's the bathroom? It can work. We love shortcuts. We think they're awesome, but they're not so helpful when it comes to getting close to God. Because whenever you skip a step in getting close to God, you do just that. You skip a step. And the steps that we skip, we try to jump over because we want to get just straight to all of the learning, all of the understanding. We want to be to maturity without going through the journey to get there. When we skip those steps, we leave holes and gaps in our knowledge and our understanding. And many of us are those people. If we really look at our life, we're we're missing this key component right there that could have helped us to soar to the place that ultimately God wanted us to be in terms of maturity, but we didn't have the key steps to get us there. We've jumped around in the journey. We haven't really been willing to walk our way through it, and it has led us to the place where we find ourselves today. Listen to these verses from the Message Bible that I thought would be very appropriate to quote from here today. I don't know if you're familiar. Eugene Peterson is the one who who wrote the Message Bible, and he just passed away this last week. The Christian community is going to miss him greatly, and the message is such a helpful, idiomatic translation, really, of the Scriptures. And here's what it says in terms of what we're talking about today. It says, don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. In order for a shortcut to be valuable, it's got to get you to the same destination you would have gotten to otherwise, just faster. The problem is that that doesn't work in the spiritual life. There's only one shortcut that I know to getting to the place where God would have you to be, and that's to just walk through what it is that he calls you to do. Because how that provi- how's that a shortcut? Well, it's a shortcut because we don't take the detours that we put ourselves on when we go and try to do it ourselves, And it gets us straight and most quickly right to the place where he would have us to 
be. So, if those are some of the things that can make our relationship with God complicated, we're too satisfied with salvation and accepting of sin and and too self-sufficient and too interested in shortcuts, then how do we get there? Let's ask that other question. What can we do to make it less complicated? What can we do to make it less complicated? Well, I believe the answer is right in front of us, and it has been all along. It's not that we haven't seen it or that we don't kind of know what it even is. It's just that we've skirted around it. We've avoided it, and the result is that for some of us, the relationship that we have with God is on a trajectory of increasing complication rather than decreasing complication. And we know it because our pursuit of God is no more urgent than it ever has been. We've just sort of settled in, and we've said, okay, this is where I am, and I guess this is just where I'm going to be. We're just sort of stuck. That sound familiar? So how do we get around it? How do we move forward? What is the key then to making our relationship with God less complicated? Now as I give this to you, I I understand that it might not knock you off your chair. You might not say, wow, that's something that I never could have imagined in the first place. But I want you to stick with me as we just work our way through this for a moment because I think it'll be helpful. So what is it? Well, the key is to cherish the benefactor over the benefits. To cherish the benefactor over the benefits. So when it comes to spiritual blessings we've received, who is the benefactor? This is not a trick question. When you get asked a question in church, the answer 90% of the time is... Jesus, God, absolutely. Well, this is one of those times. James says every good and perfect gift comes down from above. That God is the benefactor, and such is the case here. So then what are the benefits? Well, you could make a list. And if you ever take time to stop and just pray prayers of thanksgiving, pray prayers of thanksgiving, you probably have made the list. The different things that you're thankful for, what's on that list? Things like salvation and heaven and forgiveness of sin and good Christian friends and a good church and and a Bible that you can read and maybe kids that are doing well and any of a number of things. And you could no doubt add more to that list. But here's the thing. For many of us, when we talk about our walk with God, it revolves around the list. And when we think about what is my relationship with God, I think, well, It's the list. It's the benefits that I have received. That's where our minds go. That's where our heart goes. And that, I believe, is a big problem. A major problem. Not that there aren't value in those things, but that that's what we think of as being the essence of our Christian walk is a problem. Let me try it from a little different angle. Carolyn and I have been married almost 34 years. And it's been amazing. She is amazing. All the things that she brings to our relationship. And if you are married or have been married or get married, you will discover that there are certain roles in every house that the spouses just sort of divide up. Sometimes it just happens somewhat naturally. And uh, that happens in our house. And so in our house, Carolyn is the one who does the primary food preparation. 
and I'm the one who does most of the food eating, and so it works out really well in our house. She does most of the laundry. I do most of the sports watching, and that works out really well in the house, at least for me. Well, at least it's been that way until our family launched a fantasy football league. And now Carolyn wants to know what's going on with the different people on her fantasy team. And so she'll want a game on that sort of thing. I'll say, honey, can't we just watch a Hallmark movie or something? And she's like, no, we're watching football. Guys, I'm telling you, fantasy football league is the way to go. All right, but that's not the point. That's not the point. Here's the point. The point is that what if the only thing I ever cherished about Carolyn were the things that she does for me? That the only things I ever expressed gratitude about toward her, the only way I ever expressed my feelings toward her, are about the things that she's done for me. If the only things I ever really say to her in terms of something that is positive, thanks for the food, thanks for the laundry, thanks for cleaning the toilets, thanks for keeping the seasonal decorations so nice at the house. What if I never told her, honey, I cherish you just for you. I cherish you for who you are, for what is going on in your heart, for your character, for the grace that you've shown me and others, for the love that you pour out all the time. How deep is our relationship going to go? Not very. We're going to struggle, and it's going to get complicated. I could compliment her on another thing that she does for me every single day day and we'd still struggle because it's all about thanks for the gift not praise for the giver this is important because it's the same way in our spiritual walk you might be grateful for so many benefits that God has given to you but until the real center of that relationship is about the benefactor and not about the benefits you're going to struggle because God created you to have a relationship with him Not just to be the one who has been a recipient of blessing upon blessing, benefit upon benefit, but to enjoy and to celebrate the relationship. The greatest blessing of all that we have received is not the, how should I say this? Let me say it differently. The greatest blessing of all isn't what we receive through our relationship with Christ. It's Christ. Okay? The goal of heaven isn't heaven. It's not a transformed body. The goal of heaven is to be with Christ. It makes a difference. The goal of overcoming sin isn't better behavior. It's greater union with Christ. The goal of not living so self-sufficient is to beat back my ego. It's to lean into Christ. And we need to come, th- come to understand the difference that that makes. The Apostle Paul was a step ahead of us in this. And he wrote, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Paul says it's all about knowing Christ and that it is worth laying aside anything else even good things for the sake of pursuing Christ. Now he's talking about there are a number of things that he's laid aside and that we do also. We lay aside many worldly things so that we might be able to pursue Jesus and that's awesome. But unfortunately, there are also times when we take on those things that are spiritual and we allow those to actually stand in the way of actually fostering the relationship with Jesus Christ because we're celebrating the benefits rather than leaning into and enjoying and praising and devoting ourselves to the benefactor. 
what we have to resist is making knowing Jesus just a linear step on the just a step on the linear journey of sanctification. Sanctification is just a fancy theological term that talks about our progress toward or in our walk toward Christ or our walk in the Christian life. But what we oftentimes do is that we make knowing Jesus kind of the initial step. We get into it. We understand what our relationship is. We get into that. And then we start to take our way, move our way down this linear journey to becoming more. But we leave the knowledge or the knowing or the experience or the devotion of Christ back somewhere near the beginning. I don't believe that that's a helpful understanding at all. I don't think it's a right understanding. I think a better way to picture this in our mind is to think of it more like a wheel, if you will. And right at the hub of that wheel is a relationship with Jesus. It's the devotion and the adoration and the thanksgiving and the praise of who he is. It's celebrating his nature and his character and his attributes. It's celebrating just who he is and the relationship that he desires to have with us right there at that hub. And then off of the hub comes spokes. And so the different parts of our life are those spokes, of our spiritual life are those spokes. And so salvation, yes, by all means, is one of the spokes that runs off of the relationship that we have with Christ, out of who he is. And as we spend time with Christ, getting to know Christ, the spokes start to develop in our lives as they should. But the spokes should not lead us off into some other realm where we just continue to move our way on the linear journey away from the relationship we're to have with him. But instead we go out and we enjoy what is present on that spoke and it just leads us right back into the hub so that we can enjoy him that much more. As we enjoy the hub, as we worship the hub, we come to recognize something about patience and that we're missing something in our own lives and patience because we see ourselves in relationship to Jesus seeing what it is that he is developed what it is that he has displayed for us we recognize that need in our life he leads it toward us and we go and in another of those spokes then might be patience that we go and we learn about and we develop and we experience and we live out but it always draws us right back then into the hub that we can enjoy and that we can celebrate once again that's what I'm afraid is missing so much in much of evangelicalism is that we are living our lives in spokes we're living our lives celebrating patience and love and kindness and salvation and knowledge and we just move our way around the spokes ignoring the hub and I believe that that's where we need to start to focus ourselves so every single day when you get up that it's not today I need to work on patience and so we read our devotional on patience and we go and read the chapter in the book we've been studying on patience and we're thinking all about what, how important patience is for us, and it's indeed a, a, it's a fruit of the Spirit, and it's something that should be pursued. But we're moving around the edges, and we never bother to spend time and move ourselves right to the hub, which is where that can be motivated and moved from anyway. And for many of us, we've been spending so much time on the spokes, ignoring the hub, that our relationship is complicated. Because we aren't experiencing the relationship that God would desire for us to have. That he created us to have with him. And so we're doing things that all look respectable. That all feel very spiritual. That we can easily justify ourselves as every day I work on my Christian life. And we don't recognize the fact that we've just been working on the spokes. And we're still ignoring the hub. We're ignoring the joy of the relationship that we have with Christ. Every day as you get up, during the day as you contemplate Christ, let your mind go first. Just put that in your head. Go to the hub. 
celebrate who he is. Enjoy the relationship just with who he is. When you pray, pray prayers not just about the spokes. Don't let your prayers just be about God develop this in me, God develop that in me. But rather, God develop me. God draw me closer to yourself. So that our prayers would be focused first and foremost on the hub. And when you open your Bible and you read it, you're not just reading it for knowledge. You're not just reading it for information so that you might be able to fill up the spokes of your understanding. But as you read the Scriptures, ask yourself, what is it that that tells me about the nature and the person of God? And then allow that to be where your focus is. And then, once you have it centered in what that tells you about who He is, then allow it to train you in the things that it has to say. I'm afraid that many of us have spent much of our lives, I've fallen into this trap, have spent much of our lives thinking we're walking close in our relationship with God when all we're doing is flitting around the spokes. Important things, but not the center thing. Not the most important thing. Now you might also be here today and you might be saying, well, I've never really come even into the hub. You talk about being too satisfied with salvation. Well, satisfied or salvation isn't something I've been satisfied in at all because I've never really taken that step. I've never come to trust Jesus as my own Savior and, and establish the relationship with the hub. Well, the good news is that you have that opportunity right here and, and right now. If you find your relationship with God complicated and you want to simplify it, maybe it's because you've been trying to generate something or believing that there is something that is true between you and God that is not true, that never has been true. Because you've never really established that relationship. Well, here's an opportunity. All that that is about, establishing that relationship with God, is acknowledging that there is that darkness in your heart, that there is that sin that is present there. And that you would confess that to God. Ask Him to take it out of the way, which He has promised to do and He's accomplished on our behalf because of Jesus going to the cross on our behalf to pay the penalty and the price for our sin. Just a matter of asking God to take that out of the way and provide His forgiveness instead in making the devotion of our lives to Him. And that's what can allow God to become that centerpiece and take on that center place that gives you the hope and the assurance and the confidence of eternal life, which you can enjoy and celebrate, but understand that that is just the beginning of all of what it is that He wants for you. If you'd like to do that, you can do that right here, and I'd invite you to do so. Would you please bow your heads and, and pray with me? And if you are in that situation today where you desire to have that relationship with Jesus that you have never had before to make him your Lord and Savior then you can simply pray something like this silently where you're sitting dear God thank you for your love that desires to have a relationship with me I confess the fact that I am sinful that I have a darkness in my heart. And I thank you that you sent Jesus to die in my place and on my behalf 
so that that darkness might be taken away from me by your grace. Forgive me of those sins, I pray. I put my trust in you today. Friend, if that's what you have prayed, then the deal is done, as they say. There is celebration going on today in heaven and in your heart, I trust, certainly in mine as I think about the specter of people putting their faith and their hope and their trust in Jesus. If you have prayed that prayer today, if you've made that decision, then on that white communication card that you're about to turn in to the offering in just a moment, if you just write on there, I trusted Jesus today, then we'll know and we can, we can pray for you and we can encourage you and we can help you with steps if, if you'd be interested in those benefits. Father, thank you for the fact that you love us so much, that you desire to have a relationship with us. And Lord, forgive us for the way that we have taken and convoluted all of what you've desired to be so simple and straightforward. And today I pray that we would be people who can just focus on you right at the hub of our life. Every moment when we wake up praying, thinking of the relationship you desire to have with us, celebrating that relationship, adoring you for who you are, and then allowing that praise and time of adoration to launch us off into the places that you'd have us to be, but always returning, always anchored to the hub. Lord, thank you that you have come into our world so that we would be able to understand who you are and, and what it is that you've done and how it is that you love. I pray that we would be people who would simplify the relationship that we have with you to just boil it down to where it begins and where it flows from. Lord, forgive us for times, for seasons, for years that we've focused on important things but not the best things. We look forward to celebrating our relationship with you, who we love, who we adore, who we worship. In Jesus' name.